Just to say, uh, as elders and our wives, we, we went away just uh, for the last uh, day or so, just down to Brussels to meet with all of the other New Ground family of church leaders, and we just had a, a great time meeting with them and uh, just hearing all about great news happening around our family of churches. It's great to hear about pioneers planting into Berlin and to Delft and Maastricht and Brussels. We're a part of a movement that's impacting Europe. And we're so excited. And, and even uh, our own Dave Hill got to stand up before all these leaders, 160 of them, and talk about West Lothian and what God is doing here. So isn't it great to be part of something bigger? I love that. It's so important, isn't it? We need it in our own lives. We need church. And as a church, we need the bigger family of churches. So we'll be praying for some of those things in our week of prayer that's been mentioned. As we're going into this week of prayer, we thought it would be great to talk about prayer. Does that sound like a good idea? Yeah, because I know we need cheering along in this area. So uh, we're going to read, we're fast-forwarding to the end of Ephesians. We haven't finished Ephesians, but we're just going to fast-forward to the end where there's some good verses about prayer, and I'm going to read them, and then we're going to talk about prayer. So Ephesians 6, verse 18. It says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So here's the instruction for us today, to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Uh, a famous Christian by the name of Corrie Ten Boom once brought this challenge. She survived concentration camps, watched her sister die, and she uh, famously said this. She said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? And that's a great question to ask, isn't it? Y- you know what that means, obviously. Is it your emergency go-to when things are terrible, oh God, help? Or is it the thing that guides and directs your life? And what we're going to see today is that Paul encourages us to make it our steering wheel. And that's not immediately obvious, because when you read these verses at the end of Ephesians 6, you might think, well, it feels a bit of a tag on. Chapter 6, and this is the first time, is it, that he mentions prayer and pray in the Spirit? Oh, yeah, we've done everything else. I've talked to you all about Jesus and the doctrine. Oh, and pray, by the way. Does your life feel that way sometimes? That you do a load of stuff and you say, oh, I've made some plans, Lord. Could you bless it, please? And uh, what we find is, actually, no, this isn't some afterthought by the Apostle Paul. You know, you can read in chapter 1. The opening chapter of Ephesians is this. It's a, it's a hymn of praise to God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's talking to God. He can't even write a letter without praising God. In verse 16 of, uh, verse 15 of chapter 1, he says, For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here's a praying man. I keep asking God that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you might know him better. Go to chapter 3, verse 14. And yet again, Paul refers to prayer. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray. Out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray 
that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Do you get the feeling that Paul prayed a lot? I do, as I read these verses. And then chapter 6, verse 10, which leads us into these verses we read today. Paul talks to them in the context of living the Christian life and the fight of faith, the battle that we face, spiritual warfare, you might call it. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he lists some of the armor of God, which you might have heard of. But then this is his conclusion. So that whole section... Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. How do you fight the good fight of faith? Paul's answer is unequivocal. The answer is you pray. You pray. And you don't stop praying. And when you want to stop, you keep praying. So today, this is an encouragement to pray. This is how we get things done. Prayer is how change happens. Prayer is not the spare tire. Prayer is the beginning, the middle, and the end of our lives. The Puritans, some of the great uh, early Christians in, in our continent, they defined prayer as a means of grace. What they said was this, wow, the word of God is, this is, this is a gift from heaven to us. It's the word of God. It's a means of grace. But they also said prayer. Prayer. That, that's not some kind of added work that Christians must do. No, this is, this is a gift from God by which we receive from God. So when we get hindered from prayer and when we don't pray, We stop ourselves from receiving the very thing that God wants to give us. So today I want to encourage you to be a prayer. I don't know if you've read that story in uh, Exodus uh, 17, where Moses is standing on a hillside. Joshua and his armies are fighting the Amalekites. And it says this, that whenever Moses lifted his hands to heaven, Joshua and his army won the battle and they were winning. When Moses' hands got tired and they just began to go down to his sides, Joshua started losing the battle. And here was Joshua. He was thinking, gosh, I'm winning. Oh, now I'm losing. And he's thinking it's in his own strength. But what was really happening was that Moses was praying and Moses was getting tired. So what they did was they got two large stones and they propped them under Moses' arms to force him to keep praying because that's how they prayed in those days. And here's what the learning point was for Joshua. It's not by physical might and strength it's by the hand of God that we see victory in our lives do you believe that I don't know about you but I find this that in my marriage when I don't pray things don't go as well as they should I find in my work and in my family and as a parent when I don't pray and I have all sorts of good reasons for not praying busyness and all the things that you have as well that that things don't go as well as when I pray So today, here's what we want to get to grips with. Paul says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Here's the first question. I've got five points I want to make. They're not long points, I hope. So five points about praying in the Spirit. Here's the first point. Because people say, well, what, what is praying in the Spirit? That sounds mysterious. Praying in the Spirit is normal Christian prayer. Okay? Praying in the Spirit is normal Christian prayer. It's not amazing, super different kind of prayer. It's not the kind of prayer that certain Christians do. You know, the really heavyweight ones. Who, no, Paul is talking to, to the, all of the Christians in Ephesus. He said, I want you all to do this. This is, this is prayer. This is normal prayer. Ephesians 2, verse 18. 
says this, for through Jesus, through him, we have access to the Father through the one Spirit. So when Paul says pray in the Spirit, he's immediately making a reference to the Father and the Son as well, if you read back to what he said. So what he's saying is when you pray, it's in the power of the Spirit, but you're praying to a Father who the Bible says loves to give good gifts to his children, by the way, and who has all power in heaven and earth and who created everything at his command. That's the God you pray to. And you come through the person and finished work of Jesus Christ, who is the mediator between God and man. So when we pray in the Spirit, it's not us suddenly whipping something up as getting ourselves in the Spirit. No, this is coming to God the Father through Jesus the Son in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. I came across this great quote years ago by Charles Spurgeon, which I've never been able to find since. And every time I've quoted it, I think it's got looser and looser. But this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try again. And there might be a bit of Dan Hudson here. It might not be as good as his original. But he was commenting on uh, Hebrews chapter 4, where it says, talks about the throne of grace that we, we come to. He says, as we approach the throne of God... We come with the knowledge that there is enough sin in our prayers, even in the best of our prayers, to ensure that if it was a throne of justice to which we came, they would be cast out forever before a holy God, if it was a throne of judgment to which we came. But praise God, it's not a throne of judgment, it is a throne of grace. And Jesus, our mediator, He takes our imperfect, sin-filled prayers with all of their wrong motives and he takes them with his scarred hands and he presents them to the Father and he takes them and he corrects them. He makes the impure motives pure. He takes the things that are wrong with our prayers and all the things that we think would disqualify our prayers and he fixes it before it gets to the Father and he says, here you go, Lord. Here's the prayers of your people. And the father says, well, these are perfect. I will answer these prayers because they're perfect prayers. Because Jesus, as we heard before, I love that word in the worship, he's the perfecter of faith. He's the one who fixes our imperfection as we approach the Holy Father. And so we approach this throne, we approach the Father through Jesus by the Spirit. And we do so with wonderful reverence and awe, yet total confidence. Another uh, theologian called Gordon Fee said this. He said, you really should have this incredible sense of unworthiness when you approach God. I really don't belong here. Coupled with the opposing sense of total joy. It's all of grace, so I do belong here. He says, what bothers me about some within the charismatic and Pentecostal tradition of which he's a part is the joy without reverence, without awe. He says, too many in Christian circles, there is neither reverence nor joy. Here's the point. We come by the grace of God with confidence to a God without whom our prayers would be unacceptable, but now they are. So let's approach him. We come, this is normal Christian prayer. It's in the spirit. But here's the second thing about prayer in the Spirit. And is this, it's prayer in the Spirit is the kind of prayer offered by weak 
and inexperienced Christians. So Romans 8 verse 26 says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. We don't know what to pray for. Here's the Apostle Paul's definition and description of your prayer life and mine. He looks at it and he says, well, it doesn't look like you know what to pray for. (laughs) There's no experts in this room. There's nobody here who says prayer Bang, nailed that one. <laughs> All of us feel weak. Am I right? All of us. Even, even those of us who have been Christians for years, there's times we think, well, I, just, I don't get it, and I don't know, and I don't understand, and I, I, I get up to pray, and I don't know what to say, and all of those things. Paul says, well, that's normal. But the good news is the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit is here to help you. He's here to teach you. We all struggle with prayer. You know, the early disciples did. When in Luke 11, Tim Keller made this great point on, on Luke 11, where the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray. You know, they, they watch him praying. They say, teach us to pray. He said, we can miss the, the incredible moment that that was. I mean, human beings have been praying for millennia, right? It, it wasn't, Jesus didn't invent prayer. The Jews had been praying for, for millennia before that and, and other religions. Prayer isn't a new entity, the idea of reaching out to a deity or God. But they saw something different in Jesus. And Tim Keller says, imagine you go to a friend's house for the first time and you've never been to their house and you didn't know that actually their house backs onto a, a, a train line where a freight train comes past, and you're having a nice, quiet cup of tea, getting, getting on with your friend, and then suddenly the whole house starts shaking, and the, the lights start flickering, and, and, and you're like, what on earth is that? And your friend is just sort of calmly just smiling, she says, oh, oh, that, well, that's, that's the train. Well, when the disciples said, looked at Jesus, they were like, what on earth is this? They saw Jesus praying and said, we've never seen anything like this before. And Jesus is smiling and says, oh, that. Well, that's, that's prayer. Let me, let me teach you. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your king. He teaches them to pray. And here's the thing. Jesus went back to be the father. He taught his disciples to pray, but he sent another one, another helper, to teach us to pray, the Holy Spirit who strengthens us in our weakness. When we call on the Holy Spirit, he helps us. See, our starting point isn't expertise. Our starting point is inability that the Holy Spirit loves to fill. Uh, A a, a guy uh, called Jim Simbala, who started a remarkable uh, church in New York City in Brooklyn, which, I mean, I say it wasn't remarkable at the start. It was like about three people, and his own confession about that particular place which became renowned for prayer and salvation and healing, all kinds of incredible things, people, hundreds, thousands, getting saved there. But he says at the start, he said, nobody would accuse our church of being a house of prayer and nobody would accuse me as being a man of prayer. But then he said this, I discovered this astonishing truth that God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. Our weakness makes room for his power. 
Do you feel weak in prayer? Good news. God loves it when you feel that way because it makes you depend on him. Perhaps you're in a stage of life where all of your disciplines have gone out the window. Perhaps there's a a huge kind of emotional thing you're dealing with or a busy job's come along and it's just knocked all of your disciplines. Perhaps you're young parents. I know what that feels like. Just everything goes out the window. It's like prayer? Well, sorry, what was that again? Here's the simplest prayer you can pray. God, I need you. You don't have to pray for an hour or, or go through a whole list of stuff. Just say this prayer, God, I need you in my weakness, and God will be pleased to help you. Here's the third thing about praying in the Spirit. So we've got prayer in the Spirit is normal Christian prayer. It's the prayer of the weak and inexperienced, which is us. Prayer in the Spirit is the alternative to anxiety in your life. Okay? So what happens when Paul says pray in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers and requests? What do we do with stuff when we don't pray about them? We think about them, don't we? We don't ignore them. We don't say, hey, I'm not going to think about all these things. We think, well, I'm just going to worry about those things instead. I'm just going to spend some time just being anxious right now. I'm just going to play some scenarios in my head, <laughs> thinking about this, where this could go if, I, if it just keeps going this way. And... and Paul says, no, the, the alternative, the much better alternative to your life than worry is to bring your prayers to a God who cares. There, uh, there was a, a, a guy called uh, Joseph Scriven, lived in the 1800s in Ireland. And he, he wrote a famous hymn. Sometimes when I'm looking for inspiration, I'll look through the hymn book and see what great Christians of old sang about things. And, and I looked up some hymns on prayer. And the, the, one of the most famous ones is this hymn called What a, F- a Friend We Have in Jesus. Well, I didn't know. The guy, the guy who wrote it, he faced real adversity in his life. And the day before he was due to get married in his 20s, his fiancée drowned accidentally. And then he kind of got through that season of life and he chose to get married again. And his fiancée yet again died of pneumonia before their wedding day. He got, um, his family were part of a religious sect and they, uh, they refused to speak to him for much of his life because he became a Christian. And he heard his mother was unwell and he wrote her a poem which flowed out of his own prayer life and which is this hymn that many Christians sing. I don't think we've sang it here, but the words go like this. He says, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And another verse says this. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. You will find a solace there. Here was his learning point after years of tragedy from all directions. He said, well... I found when I pray about stuff, it helps. This was his go-to place in times of trouble. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says this, Cast all your anxiety on the Lord because he cares for you. This is what you do when you pray. You come to God with your stuff and you say, God, I need to talk to you about this stuff. 
And he says, I'll take that. I'll take it. We can leave it with him. When we pray, we trust. And when we trust, we leave stuff with the Lord. And it feels good. I'm going to say, uh, in, in my own life, let me talk to you about my own prayer life. For many years, it's been rather uh, spontaneous to describe a, a, a better, uh, not to use a better word, but I found when I have prayed, uh, I, I've often just kind of just prayed what's in my head and all those sorts of things. But more recently, I've been really thinking, you know, there's so much going on in life and there's so many things that I'm dealing with, whether it's at home or in family or or whether that's uh, at church or thinking about the world that we live in. I thought, I, I don't want to just leave it to chance whether I ever pray about this. Because so I'm thinking about those things all the time. I want to make sure I pray about them. So here's something I'm doing at the moment, which might help some of you. And that is, uh, I got this idea. How many of you have done the, the couch to 5K thing? Have you heard of that? It's an app to teach you to run if you can't run. If you're a couch potato, sorry if you just put your hand up. That was, that was you, obviously. <laughs> It teaches you to run. And it's a very simple thing. It's, it's an app which basically times you, and it, over a period of weeks, it says, week one, okay, it says, walk for five minutes. And then after five minutes, somebody says, okay, run for one minute. And then after a minute, it says, walk for two minutes. And you just do what it says. And over a period of weeks, they just up the ante a little bit each time, so they run for two minutes. And then walk for one minute. And then, ooh, run for five minutes. And they're just upping it each time. But because it's gradual, the idea is that within time, you'll be able to run a 5K within a period of nine weeks. That's what they say. Anyway, I, kind of, I was looking at this, and I thought, what if we did the same thing with prayer? Because we don't find it easy to pray, but I thought, maybe I could use this idea. So I downloaded a, a, a classroom timer. Teachers, you've probably come across these, where it helps you plan a lesson. And I programmed into it, the various sections of things I wanted to pray about. So this is it. So in my household in the morning, uh, we, I have about an hour and a quarter between getting up and leaving the house. And of that time, I figured I could squeeze out 20 minutes maximum. So this is what I decided I was going to do. And it basically moves me on after every time it says, now you need to start praying. So three minutes of worship, loving God for who he is, lifting up his name, that kind of thing. Two minutes of thankfulness because I tend to be a bit of a miserable person, so I need to just constantly remind myself of all the blessings God gives to me. I spend three minutes praying for my family, for Julie, for the four kids, one each day, because I found I wasn't really praying for them, and I needed to. Then I spend three minutes praying for church, for you guys, and for things that I I feel are going on, for our future, and and where I feel God's calling us to. I spend... uh, Two minutes praying for the large world. You think, well, this doesn't sound very, you know, very amazing. You spend two minutes praying for the world. Well, you know, it's two minutes every day, <laughs> right? <laughs> you can actually get a lot done in a year in that time. And, and, and then I spend three minutes just quiet before God, asking, just resting my soul and asking him to speak to me if there's things that he wants to put on my heart. That might be a help for you. If you're finding you're not getting to pray about stuff, and you think, I want to pray about stuff, that might help you. It might help you just to cover out with time and say, oh, I just need to just be before God. Whatever works for you, but I want to encourage you to get in the place of prayer before God and to cast your burdens onto Jesus. Right, that was the third thing. Here's the fourth thing. Prayer in the Spirit is the alternative to the hard-heartedness of fatalism. So Jesus said, when you pray, pray, your kingdom come, 
and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what Jesus was teaching us, that when we pray, it changes things. It changes not just us. That can be the temptation. Well, it, you know, prayer is good for me. It helps me get a better perspective. No, Jesus said it actually changes the world. One of the best things we can do with our time isn't just to scroll through social media and, and bemoan what is wrong with the world. The best thing we can do is put that to one side and pray to the God who can change the very things that we're thinking about. Tim Keller said, prayer is rebellion against the evil status quo of this world. See, when you go through the New Testament, when you go through the book of Acts, you find that the early Christians had this instinct. But the book of Acts is like one long prayer meeting interspersed with miracles and persecution and difficulty. And you find the apostles had this instinct. When they were troubled, they'd pray. When they were intimidated, they'd pray. When they were challenged, they'd pray. When they were persecuted, they'd pray. And they found it to be the thing that would change the situation. Uh, Jim Simbala from New York, who I mentioned before, he said this amazing thing. He said, as a young pastor, as he was getting to grips with prayer, he said, I began to despair at the thoughts of my life slipping by without God seeing without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. Carol and I, his wife, didn't simply want to mark time, and I longed and I cried out for God to change everything. One day I told God I would rather die than merely tread water through my career in the ministry, always preaching about the power of the word and spirit, but never seeing it. Isn't that an amazing thing? He said, I came to the place in prayer, I just said, God, I desperately need you here. We don't just want to play church and Christianity. and We, we want to see the power of God released in our city, don't we? And in our nation. We, we want to see things change. And we're so grateful when we see people get baptized. And it, gosh, life change. God's at work. Don't we want to see it on a different scale? Oh, yeah, we do. And that's why this week when we pray in the prayer room on, on, on Friday night, we, this is business going on. If you've got other stuff in your schedule that you think is more important, I want to suggest to you, perhaps it's not. (laughs) Because actually this is the very best thing we can do with our time. It's it's to pray to the God who changes things. Paul, in these verses we read, he said, pray for the Lord's people. Pray for me. that I'll declare the gospel fiercely as I should. Here is the most gifted Christian you could ever meet and his big request for the Ephesian church was this please would you pray for me please would you pray for me pray for me not to be fearful if you feel fearful get people to pray for you because it changes you that's what Paul's saying in those verses here's another thing that he's saying in those verses pray for the church often when we start praying we start praying for the world and all of its problems Paul says pray for the church pray for the people of God pray that we're the light in the darkness pray We're going to be uh, on the prayer room downstairs. If you go in there this week, you'll see there's a massive poster on the wall with uh, circles within circles. And it's based on that verse, uh, Acts 1.8. You'll see power and the Holy Spirit comes on you. with my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we're going to be praying for ourselves, praying for our church, praying for Samaria, which is kind of West Lothian, I guess, isn't it? We're going to be praying for uh, Scotland, our nation. We're going to be praying for God to come. We're going to be praying for the world. We're going to pray for the nations of Europe and beyond. 
And we're believing as we do that, things are going to change in the spirit. Things are going to happen as a result of prayers prayed this week. Here's the fifth and final thing. So, so far we've got prayer in the spirit is normal Christian prayer. It's prayer offered by weak and inexperienced Christians. Prayer in the spirit is the alternative to worry. Prayer in the spirit is the alternative to fatalism, thinking that things can never change. They will. Here's the fifth thing. Prayer in the spirit is where God speaks and breaks through. It's where God speaks and breaks through. So prayer in the spirit, when you read Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, amazing book of the Bible, but it starts with these words. It says, the apostle John, who was exiled on Patmos by himself, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now that can sound a bit mystical, but what do you think he was doing? He was praying. It was Sunday and he was praying. That's pretty normal, isn't it? But he'd given God the opportunity. So he said, as I was praying, and I was, it was the Lord's day, Jesus suddenly appeared and gave him this revelation to write down, the whole of the book of Revelation. Amazing what God does when you pray. What you find in Acts chapter 2 is, in Acts chapter 1, they're praying. And in Acts chapter 2, suddenly from heaven, a mighty wind comes and, and tongues of fire come and fill the place where they are. God breaks in when we pray. In Acts chapter 4, you find again, they're in another prayer meeting. And it says that the whole house started shaking after their prayer time. They're filled with boldness. God broke in. The, we obviously live in Scotland and... One of the most famous revivals in the UK of, of the last 100 years happened in the Isle of Lewis in the 1950s. And do you know how that began? The story begins, and you can go and find it on the internet if you're interested. It started with a couple of old ladies. They were 82 and 84, and they met together to pray because they noticed that a lot of the young people weren't going to church anymore which was a, in their culture back then was like that they saw that things were deteriorating very rapidly and they said, we must pray. We must pray. So they began to pray. And then one of them, I mean, these are kind of staunch Presbyterians. They, they don't really do gifts of the Spirit. So, but one of them received a vision from God. And their vision was they saw their church building packed full of young people. And the comment made by their minister was, we didn't have a single young person in our congregation Yet they knew God had spoken. So they, they, they sent for their minister. The minister said to them, and they explained that we, that we felt God was calling us to pray. And, and, and he gave us this vision. And the minister said to them, he said, well, so what do you think we should do? And they looked at him in disbelief, and they said, well, we should pray. <laughs> and they told him this, we want you to go to the other end of the parish and start a prayer meeting. And Peggy and I, we will be at this end of the parish and we are going to pray twice a week from 10 o'clock in the evening until 3 in the morning, twice a week. And we're going to pray for God to come. And you know, God turned that island around. In fact, hundreds and hundreds of villages came to Christ. The atmosphere changed when they prayed. There was a... Uh, a resistant, there was one particular resistant village that, that, that kind of spoke badly against the, the revival that was happening. And so they went and prayed in that village. They met in a house, about 30 people. 
And there was five ministers there, including uh, Duncan Campbell, who, who was the sort of mouthpiece that God used in that time. And as they prayed, one of the elders there described it as he felt like the powers of hell were being unleashed against them as they prayed. It felt like the toughest prayer meeting they'd ever been in. And the time came for one of their, one of the, their people to pray. And he prayed for half an hour straight. And he then paused and he lifted his hand towards heaven and he said, God, do you know that your honor's at stake? You made a promise to pour water on thirsty and floods on the dry ground and God, you're not doing it. And he said, there are five ministers at this meeting, Lord, including Mr. Campbell, and I don't know where, one of them stand, where any of them stand in your presence, but I know if anything at all about my own heart, that I'm thirsty for a manifestation of your power and you promised to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, and you're not doing it. God, your honor's at stake, and now I challenge you to fulfill your covenant agreement to pour water on the thirsty and floods on the dry ground. Then this is what was recorded. They said, at that moment, that huge granite-built house shook like a leaf. It shook like a leaf. As soon as... This dear man stopped praying. I pronounced the end of the meeting. He decided enough prayer had happened. (laughs) It was a little after two in the morning. And I went out to find the whole village ablaze with God. I went in a house. I was tired and thirsty. And I went to get a drink of milk. And I found nine women on their knees in the kitchen, all of them crying to God for mercy. One of them, saved that night, has written some of the finest Gaelic hymns we have in our Gaelic hymn book. What a wonderful sight to see the following Sunday. I happened to be staying in the village for the weekend to see the road black with people walking the two miles to church. Prior to the movement, four left the village for church. The drinking house, that den of iniquity, in that particular village was closed that night and has never been opened since. <laughs> see, God turned it around. How did he do it? With two elderly ladies who met to pray. Do you think God is going to meet with us as we pray this week? Of course he is. He loves it when we declare our dependency on him. So today I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you to become a part of what God is doing. And if you don't feel it yet, if you're still at that point where you think, I don't have an appetite to pray. Here's my advice. Start. Because actually... The more you pray, the more you sense your need to pray. And the more you you sense your need to pray, the more you want to pray. 